Hello and welcome to Clearing Out the Shelf, a podcast where I share and analyze the poetry that has been collecting dust on my shelf for months. My name is Preston and today we'll be looking at a few poems by none other than Sylvia Plath. Sylvia Plath is a staple to 20th century poetry. Born in October of 1932, Plath spent the grand majority of her life writing poetry and she continued to do so months before her early death in 1963. She was most famous for her poetry collections, The Colossus and Other Poems, and Ariel, and is credited for advancing a now popular form of poetry, confessional poetry. Confessional poetry allows a poet to share something personal in their work, breaking previous barriers of belief that poetry had to be nature-based or outside of the realm of the self. It's likely that Plath wrote poetry in this style because of the clinical depression that lasted most of her adult life and domestic abuse committed against her by her husband, Ted Hughes. For many modern-day poets, and especially slam poets, use this confessional form to cope and or share their not-so-nice personal experiences with others. Sylvia Plath wrote hundreds of beautiful pieces throughout her lifetime, and it's an extraordinary pleasure that I have been able to find her work. Although I have been writing poetry for just over six years now, analyzing some of Plath's works has taken my keenest mind to accomplish. Her poetry just feels real and makes one feel like they have a better sense of the world or anything really after reading it. The first poem that I'll be sharing today is titled Soliloquy of the Solipsist. All poems featured in this episode are from the book Sylvia Plath, The Collected Poems. I, I walk alone. The midnight street spins itself from under my feet. When my eyes shut, these dreaming houses all snuff out. Through a web of mine over gables, the moon's celestial onion hangs high. I make houses shrink and trees diminish by going far. My looks leash dangles to puppet people who, unaware how they dwindle, laugh, kiss, get drunk, nor guess that if I choose to blink, they die. I, when in good humor, give grass its green, blazing sky blue, and endow the sun with gold. Yet, in my wintriest moods, I hold absolute power to boycott color and forbid any flower to be. I know you appear vivid at my side, denying you sprang out of my head, claiming a feel of fire enough to prove flesh real, though it's quite clear all your beauty, all your wit is a gift, my dear, from me. If you were unaware of what a solipsist was before the reading of this poem, there are individuals who believe in the theory of solipsism, which states that the only driving force of the universe is oneself. The narrator here, being a solipsist, centers themselves through the uses of the word I to begin every stanza, and then continues each stanza by stating the caliber of control that they hold over things such as neighborhoods, the moon, people's actions and well-being, and the seasons. These changes are also dependent on the solipsis mood, making existence as we know it a truly unpredictable thing. At the end of the poem, the speaker finally addresses another party using the word you twice in the final stanza. While this could be interpreted as the speaker talking to someone close to themselves, this is more likely the speaker metaphorically looking their audience in the face and saying that everything they are and feel is a gift from the speaker. So the quiz are monologues mainly used in plays where a character will usually stand alone or off to the side of the stage and speak directly to the audience. After learning about the power that the solipsist believes that they have over everything, speaking directly to the reader drives this point of belief home. The second poem that I'll be reading is called Frog Autumn. Summer grows old, cold-blooded mother. The insects are scant skinny. In these palustral homes, we only croak and wither. Mornings dissipate in somnolence. The sun brightens tardily among the pithless reeds. Flies fail us. The fence sickens. 
Frost drops even the spider. Clearly the genius of plenitude houses himself elsewhere. Our folk thin lamentably. This poem shares a personified frog's perspective of autumn and the loom and doom it brings to the species of animal. This piece is all-encompassing of the idea that, in literature, autumn emphasizes a feeling of death and change. Here, Plath uses this idea to show just how far this death, despair, and hunger stretches outside the human perspective. The line, clearly the genius of plenitude houses himself elsewhere, shows that the frog recognizes that there are better days for itself, but it isn't being granted plenitude or peace because of the shift in the season. Even though the frog itself isn't dying, the sources of life feel for the frog are. In this way, we're given a piece that uses human emotions combined with real events that are minuscule to us to capture the daunting and ravaging feeling of despair that comes with struggle and loss. The final poem that I'll be sharing today is titled Incommunicado. The groundhog on the mountain did not run, but fatly scuttled into the splayed fern and faced me, back to a ledge of dirt, to rattle her sallow rotted teeth like castanets against my leaning down, when not exchanged for that weary clatter sound or gesture of love. Claws braced at bay, my currency not hers. Such meanings never occur in marching, where love met groundhogs love one in return, where straight talk is the rule, whether warm or hostile, which no gruff animal misinterprets. From what grace am I fallen? Tongues are strange, signs say nothing. The falcon who spoke clear to canacy cries gibberish to coarsened ears. The first section introduces the speaker and the subject of the poem, which is the groundhog. The groundhog serves as a way for the speaker to show the reader that there is a disconnect between them and, additionally, to nature, due to language barriers. Even though the groundhog is trying to communicate something to the speaker, the speaker can't and won't ever be able to understand this form of communication. They describe the groundhog clicking its teeth as sounding like castanets, furthering the fact that the communication simply sounds like music to the speaker and nothing more. The second stanza includes the words marching and canacy. A marching is as follows. A folktale characterized by elements of magic or the supernatural, such as the endowment of a mortal character with magical powers or special knowledge. Variations expose the hero to supernatural beings or objects. Canacy is a character in the play The Fairy Queen. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find much information on this character, but I can infer that the usage here refers back to the concept of a marching. Moving on, this section of the poem goes on to explain that in the animal kingdom, straight talk is the rule, whether warm or hostile, which no gruff animal misinterprets, meaning that there is a deeper understanding amongst wildlife than there is between wildlife and humans, who are claimed to be the smartest living species, yet fail to recognize the voices of the animals around them. The speaker mentions Marchin, which encompasses all magic supernatural folktales in which animals of similar and different species, including humans, are able to understand each other without any hassle. At the end of this section, the speaker reflects on the fact that they are missing out on these conversations communications from animals, as she recognizes that their own coarsened ears are to blame. Interestingly, the word incommunicado is English, but comes from the Spanish word incommunicar, which translates to to deprive of communication, with the I form of this word being incommunicado. The similarity between the English and Spanish words highlight both the beauty and uniqueness of language as well as how this uniqueness leads to barriers and uncertainties. Thank you so much for joining me for the first episode of Clearing Out the Shelf. Next episode, we'll be exploring the incredible work of a famous, extraordinarily talented modern poet, Ocean Vuong. Until then, happy reading.